All right, if you want, you can turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you, have, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one from either side of the room from our cases over there. I want to encourage you to turn to page 1006. If you're using that Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, please take that one home with you and use it throughout the week as you are using it here this morning. There should be a little half sheet of paper in there that gives you some tips on how to uh, dig in and investigate what God has to say through his word. Page 1006, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 21 this morning. And um, uh, we we have just a few more weeks that uh, that we're going through our values here at Redeemer. This is a series we've been going through for a good part of the summer. We finished up John's gospel uh, just before this, and now we're looking at these things that are, are important to us here, things that we want to give um, a priority to as a church. And this morning, I think there's still some handouts back there on that back table as well that lists our values, things that we've, uh, that, we've list, that we've gone through already. We're on hospitality this morning, okay? Hospitality is something that we need to prioritize as a church and as individual believers. Now, out of all of the Apostle Paul's letters, his letter to the Romans contains the most detailed explanation of the gospel, the fullest, the most robust, deep explanation that the, the fullness of the gospel Paul gives. And these recipients of the letter needed a robust and a clear understanding of the gospel because their church was experiencing a lot of tension okay, among its members. Now, this church in Rome had existed. Paul did not plant this church. It had existed before he wrote this letter was around for a while. He wrote this letter probably around 57 AD, somewhere in the mid-50s there. And when this first was church established, it had uh, a lot of Gentile Christians and a lot of Jewish Christians uh, integrated together in the church, okay? But then uh, along came Emperor Claudius, the Roman Caesar, and he commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. You guys got to get out of here, okay? So so Claudius kicked out all the Romans, or all all the Jews, which included these Jewish Christians, and then maybe five years, somewhere in there later, uh, they were all welcomed back into Rome. But when they came back into Rome, they came back to a church that looked a lot different than when they left, right? This created a lot of frustration and division in the church because these Jewish Christians came back to a very non-Jewish church and they wanted to reinstitute, incorporate some of these Jewish practices that they had been doing before they left. And the, and the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians were like, no, we're, we're free in Christ. We don't need to do these things, right? And so Paul wrote this letter to promote gospel unity among Jewish and non-Jewish Christians in this Roman church. And in verses 9 through 21 today of chapter 12, we're going to see how hospitality actually plays a vital role in bringing people together in gospel-centered love. And so I want to read it. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Uh, I pray, and then we'll dig into the, to this together. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourself, yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is God's word to us. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes, that we might see wonderful things here in your word that you would teach us your ways, the ways of Jesus, and that you would help us by your spirit to walk in them. That you would remind us and motivate us to be hospitable to others because you have been hospitable to us. We ask this for Christ's glory and in his name. Amen. So I had three questions that I wanted to ask you this morning. These are rhetorical questions. You don't have to shout out loud or raise your hand or anything, okay? And one of them has already been answered in, in a little bit, uh, uh, some ways, because I, I see several visitors here this morning. But the first one is, how willing are you, invite, uh, are you to invite people to church? Okay? How willing are you, invite, are you to invite people to church? The second question is, how willing are you, in, how willing are you to invite people into your home? The third question is, how willing are you to invite people into your life? How willing are you to invite people into church, into your home, into your life? You see, it gets progressively like more personal as we go, right? I imagine for most of us, we're, we're eager to invite people to church. There's really no, uh, there's not a whole lot of cost involved in that. If they say no, it's fine, Right? But when it comes in to inviting others into our homes and lives, I think that eagerness tends to drop pretty quickly. That's because we have a tendency to see our homes as our own private sanctuaries and our lives as our own private business, right? We start to deepen this personal thing that we're inviting people into and we're like, mm, I don't know about that. So we make excuses to keep people at arm's length. You can come to church with me, but you know, maybe you can come to my house if I know you well enough, right? But, but my life is my life. That's off limits. We make excuses. We keep people at arm's length because we're too afraid or we're too apathetic or we're too arrogant to let people in. Here's what God's word through Paul is gonna, it's gonna do for us this morning. It's gonna disrupt our way of thinking, Okay? And here's our main point. This is what we're going to see in the, in, the, in the text this morning. Hospitality is not an option for us as Christians. Hospitality is not an option for us as Christians. It's a necessity. We need to have open homes and open lives. Why? Two reasons that we're going to see in the text. Because hospitality expresses intentional love to the family of God, and hospitality expresses inviting love to the enemies of God. Let's look at the first one. Hospitality expresses intentional love to the family of God. We're going to read back through verses 9 through 16. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Don't lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now think about for a minute with me how important these words must have been to those early readers of Paul's letter, to the Jewish and the non-Jewish Christians who had essentially become strangers to one another because of uh, 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 the Jews had been gone from Rome for so long. Now, if these Jewish and these Gentile Christians could not love each other deeply as brothers and, sis- and sisters in Christ, if they couldn't do that, then they would be hypocrites. Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy. A hypocrite is one who, who, who uh, claims to love Jesus, but fails to love those who are in Jesus' family. John talks about this in his first letter. Instead of detesting each other because of their differences, Paul was commanding these believers to detest evil and cling to what is good together. Instead of being proud and and thinking of themselves to be wiser than the others, the Jews are like, no, we know better than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are like, no, we know better than the Jews. Paul's like, that's enough. He's commanding them to be humble and live in harmony with one another. Instead of pushing their own agendas for how the church should function and demanding that their own needs be met, Paul was commanding them, hey, take the lead in showing one another honor. You know what that means? That means come underneath one another. Serve one another. Do that. Honor one another above yourselves and to share with each other in their needs. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough Tough job, isn't it? It's not easy to do, right? That's hard work. Unity, there's a reason why Paul says make every effort in Ephesians 4 to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, right? It's difficult work. Why? Because it requires you to set aside things that are personally important to you but don't ultimately benefit the body as a whole. Oh, but we love to hold on to those things, don't we? These Jewish and Gentile believers could have easily given up and walked away from each other. You know what they could have said? They could have said, that's fine. Forget this. We'll have a Jewish Christian church, JCC, down the road, and we'll have GCC on this corner, Gentile Christian church, right? That's fine. We'll just do it our way, and we'll, and we'll stay apart. Paul said to him here in verse 11, listen, don't be lacking diligence in zeal. In other words, he's telling them, guys, don't be lazy Christians. Don't be lazy Christians. Don't be apathetic toward one another. Don't give up. Don't give up. Even though the work is hard. Instead, be fervent in the spirit. In the original language, that that picture of fervency gives this image of a fire hot enough to boil a pot of water. Okay? So what's Paul telling them here? He's saying, listen... Keep that spiritual fire burning hot. We use the phrase all the time, right? To be an on-fire Christian. 
Paul had just spent the first 11 chapters of this letter showing how Jews and Gentiles were equally guilty in their sin and rebellion against God, how they were equally in need, desperate need of God's mercy and grace. And Paul showed how Jews and Gentiles receive God's mercy and grace equally through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, you're all the same when it comes to our need for grace. Just before he started giving these rapid-fire commands, that was a lot of things, wasn't it? Just in verses 9 through 16 here. Bam, 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 bam. Just before he started rifling these things off, Paul began chapter 12 by telling his readers this. Maybe you're familiar with this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Maybe your translation says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, it's easier to be fervent in the spirit when you keep the mercies of God in full view. Paul is calling them here to a, a whole new way of life in Christ, a life that was no longer shaped by the world around them, listen, but by Christ in them. A life that's no longer shaped by the world around them, but by Christ in them. It was a life that was transformed, that, that transformed the way that they thought about everything. Why? Because when your thinking is conformed to Christ, then your doing is conformed to Christ. I've heard it said before, what we believe is how we behave. What did Paul tell these Jewish and Gentile Christians to do? What do you say here? Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't treat each other like strangers. Treat each other like family. And how did Paul want them to express their love for one another? He said it in verse 13. Did you catch it? He said, pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality. Now that word hospitality in Greek conveys the idea of love for strangers. It's like you guys don't even know each other anymore. You need to love each other like brothers and sisters. How do you do that? You welcome the stranger in. Pursue hospitality. It's a short phrase in a list of rapid fire commands which makes it easy for us to just kind of breeze past it, right? To gloss over it. But this is not an optional command. None of these things are that Paul is telling us here, that he's telling these these Jewish and Gentile Christians. Because for Christians who are being transformed by the renewing of their minds and offering themselves completely to God as living sacrifices, love and hospitality are absolutely inseparable. They're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Now, I think it's helpful for us to realize just how prone we are to be conformed to this age, to use Paul's words, to be be conformed to the pattern of this world, to be squeezed into the mold. That's the picture there of the cultural mindset that we're, we're, we're bombarded with every single day from every single angle. It's a mindset that says that you are at the center of your world, that you get to determine your identity You get to decide your purpose. You get to demand everything and everyone else to cater to the life that you have created for yourself. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that that is an anti-Christian mindset. That's an anti-Christ mindset. We need to understand that we are, we're being conformed to the mindset of our culture when we see our homes primarily as our own private refuge to use for our self-centered purposes instead of a tool that God has given us to use for his gospel purposes. When we use our homes to retreat from others instead of engaging with them, we're missing out on so many opportunities to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Now, I know I'm pressing here. I want you to know that this is something that God is working in my own heart just as much. I need this just as much as you do. Let's let God's word speak to us this morning. It doesn't mean that we always need to have a front, our front door open, okay? It doesn't mean that we never use our homes for, for personal rest and rejuvenation, but when we say that we love one another, but we never actually invite each other into our homes and our lives, you know what that is? That's not love without hypocrisy. That's hypocritical love. Paul says, pursue hospitality. Chase it down. Chase it down. We don't just wake up one day and find ourselves loving one another deeply as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Anybody had that happen? It's intentional, right? Hospitality expresses intentional love to the family of God. If our love for one another is going to be without hypocrisy, it has to be this way. It has to be intentional, and hospitality is the way that God gives us in his word through Paul here that we express sincere love intentionally. One author puts it this way, biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of cultural trends to separate and isolate. It rejects the notion that life is best spent fulfilling our own self-centered desires, cordoned off from others in the private fortresses that we call homes. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than unplug, to open rather than close, to initiate rather than sit idly. Think about some of the other commands that Paul listed here for a minute. How can you rejoice with those who rejoice if you don't ever make time to listen to them tell you about what's bringing them joy? How can you mourn with those who mourn if you don't ever give them space to come and share with you about what, what has caused them pain? When we invite people into our homes, it helps us slow down. It helps us pay attention to others. And when we slow down and we pay attention to one another, then we learn how to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Why? Because we're not merely opening our homes to one another. That's never the end goal. We're actually opening our lives to one another. Oh, but that's, that's inconvenient. It's super messy, right? It's hard work. That's costly work. It means that I have to be vulnerable with others and I got to let them into my personal space, literally and figuratively, right? I don't have it in me to do that. It's way too intrusive. If you're sitting there thinking that, I want you to know that, that I've said those same words in my mind and heart and out of my mouth. 
Like I'm done peopling today, right? You ever, you ever said that? Here's what you and I need to recognize, though. That line of thinking is conformed to this age. That line of thinking is conformed to this age. It's a worldly way to think. You and I need to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to remember Paul's words here, God's word here through Paul in verse 11. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. When we, we, we need to remember that we were, uh, when we offer hospitality to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, it's as if we are offering hospitality to Christ himself. Oh, would that change our minds if we were able to grasp that more often. In Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of the day when he'll come in his glory. He'll sit on his throne of glory. He'll judge the nations by his glory. He will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And as he welcomes the righteous in his kingdom, what will he say to them? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer them, Lord, when did we do all these things for you? You know what Jesus will say? Truly I tell you, whatever you did for even the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. If we viewed every opportunity to show hospitable love to one another as an opportunity to show hospitable love to our Lord, would that not boost our spiritual fervor? Would that not, not, not fan that flame inside us? Stoke that spiritual fire, but it's hard to keep that perspective when people overstay their welcome, when they eat all your food, when they break stuff in your house, when they leave a giant mess without cleaning it up, and they're like, thanks for the game night, right? And you're like, all the pieces to life are now missing. <laughs> this is why we need to remember that we're not simply opening our homes to guests, we're opening our homes to family, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, family engages with one another. Family works together. Family shares responsibilities. Do you know that it's okay to ask your brother and sister in Christ to help you do the dishes after you have them over for a meal? Throw a towel at them. Show them where the dishwasher is. Do you know it's okay to have their kids help your kids clean up the toys and sh as they share a meal with you or as, as the, uh, in the basement before they head home? Like, hey, guys, we're going to stop 10 minutes early and we're going to, you know, everybody sing the clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up, clean up, everybody do your share. That's what you're going to leave here today with. It's that song. Do you know that it's okay to make some of the rooms of your house off limits for when people come over? 
or tell them that you need to wrap things up by a specific time for the night. Say, hey, listen, I got till nine. You're welcome to stay until then. You don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here. Right? Don't we already do these things with our, our actual family? We can do these things with our spiritual family. We can be real. Listen, is, is this not our mission to help each other connect the, the realities of the gospel with the realities of our lives? What's more real than just being in a house together and, and living regular life together and inviting people to share that with you, whether they're your blood family or your spiritual family? You can do these things. You might be thinking, though, what, I'm an introvert. What, what is, do I have to become an extrovert then and fill my house with people all the time? Like, that's going to drain the life right out of me. Is this what you're telling me? I'm, I'm walking out of here right now. Now, I want you to know, it probably doesn't seem like it right now because I'm a little amped up this morning, but I am an introvert. It, is, it takes everything in me to walk up to somebody I don't know and introduce myself. And I also want you to know that, that, that there's a footnote in your Bible that says extroverts are excluded from all of this in here. Okay, So we can just check out for a minute. I wish that were true, right? I'm not a people person. Hear me. I'm not a people person, but I am a person person. I think sometimes introverts get this bad rap that we don't like people. It, that's not the true, that's not true. It's just that, that being around a lot of people for a long time is taxing. But you know what I can do and I love to do is I love to spend a lot of time with just a couple people. Did you know that you can invite people into your home one or two at a time? Did you know that you can just sit around and have a conversation and you don't have to throw a party or have a meal or, or, or have a game night or a backyard movie or anything like that? You can just say, hey, we're open Tuesday night. Why don't you come over? What if my home is too small to have anybody over? Small spaces, yes, can be inconvenient to use, but they're not impossible to use. Listen, we just went through the Gospel of John. Do you remember the, the, the five small loaves and the two small fish? What did Jesus do with those? He fed 5,000 men plus women and children. That's twelve to 15,000 people. Jesus loves to work with small. Did you know that you can have... Hundreds of people come through your home one or two at a time and open your life to them. I'm so busy, though. I'm so busy. I, I don't even have time to open my home to others. I'm not even there myself, right? Listen, our culture might treat busyness like a badge of honor, but we need to understand that more often than not, busyness is a thief that robs us of the ability to love one another deeply. How can we rejoice and hope together? How can we help each other be patient in affliction? How can we be persistent in prayer with one another if we have no time for each other? How can we share with the saints in their needs if we're too busy to actually help? Is there something on your calendar that you need to remove in order to create some margin in your life for pursuing hospitality? 
That means that, that we need to be intentional about it, right? These are the Holy Spirit com- uh, words of, uh, uh, of Paul here. This is a command, pursue hospitality. For some of you, that might mean that you literally need to schedule it. And maybe you're sitting there like, man, I wish I could. But literally everything on my calendar has to be there. There's nothing that I can drop in this season of my life. What am I going to do about this? I want to lean in, but I feel like I'm, I'm tied up. Did you know that you can invite people into the things that you're already doing? You got to go to the grocery store and get groceries? Did you know that you can take somebody along and you can have some car time? People can come watch your kids play sports and you can sit and talk with them. You don't have to create something new. Again, the goal is to let people into your life. What are you already doing that you can invite people into? I'm an introvert. My home is too small. I'm too busy. These are just a few of the many excuses that we offer as to why we can't pursue hospitality. But when we understand that hospitality and love for one another are inseparable, we quickly run out of excuses, don't we? Because our Lord is abundantly clear on his desire for us to love one another. We're to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do that by pursuing, chasing after hospitality with one another. Hospitality expresses intentional love to the family of God. It also expresses inviting love to the enemies of God. Let's finish out this passage, verse 17. Do not repay anyone for evil, evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Imagine how angry and frustrated the Jewish Christians must have been when they came back into Rome after being kicked out for so long. Unjustly kicked out. They didn't, they, they didn't hold the Roman government in very high regard, did they? This is why Paul addresses submission to authorities in chapter 13. Surely at least some of these returning Jews sought to avenge themselves in some way. But Paul told them here, hey, hold on. I know you want to, but don't do it. Don't do it. Don't repay evil for evil. Do what's honorable. Live at peace. Remember that God is righteous and just. He will right every wrong, and he will pour out his wrath on all of his enemies, but he will do it in his timing and not yours. Then in verse 20, Paul told them how they ought to treat their enemies by quoting from Proverbs 25. This is a peculiar passage right here. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. What in the world does that mean, right? What's Paul telling them to do here with his enemies? He's telling them to pursue hospitality, is he not? To feed them, to give them a drink, to welcome them into their homes and lives. Why? Because that's the way to heap fiery coals on their enemies' heads. Now, at first glance, that sounds like vengeance 
like backhanded vengeance, right? Like, hey, be nice to him, and that's the way to punish him, right? But we need to understand the metaphor. After all, Paul ended this section in verse 21 by telling the readers to conquer evil with good, not with vengeance. So this cannot be vengeance here, right? So what did he mean then by heaping fiery coals on their enemies' heads? Well, when we think about what else he wrote in his letter here in Romans 2, Paul talked about how God's enemies were subjecting themselves to God's coming wrath because of their sin and their rebellion against him. Paul wanted them to know that God is also merciful. And so in Romans 2.4, he said, do you despise the riches of God's kindness, his restraint, his patience, not recognizing that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness that's intended to lead you to repentance. So when Paul told his readers here to pursue hospitality toward their enemies instead of vengeance, he was telling them to offer kindness and restraint and patience of God who, uh, uh, to those who rejected God so that they might see his mercy and be led to repentance and faith in him. You see, the fiery coals on their heads is a metaphor for the burning pangs of guilt and conviction in their hearts over their own sin and their rebellion against God. When we offer hospitality instead of hostility against our enemies, we're inviting them to experience the love and kindness of the God who saves sinners from his own righteous wrath. We sang about that this morning. We're inviting them to know that the God who has saved us is the God who can save them. We're adding coals to the fire of conviction in their hearts, and we are inviting them then to repent, to turn from their sin, and to trust in Jesus Christ. When we open our homes and our lives, even to our enemies, we're reflecting the God who has opened his home and his life to his enemies to us. Doesn't the Bible reveal to us a God who is hospitable? Isn't the message of the gospel a message of hospitality? How does the Bible begin? Think with me for a minute. With God creating a home, a, a place for his people, for humanity to dwell and that he might dwell with them and be their God and they would be his people. This was in a garden. But what did humanity do? Humanity became hostile to God. Humanity rejected the, hospita the hospitality of God and rebelled against him in the garden. We became enemies of God because of our ungodly sin. But here's the incredible hospitality of the gospel, which Paul writes about earlier in this letter to the Romans. While we were still helpless, Romans 5, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God proved his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You see, we were spiritually hungry and what did God do? He fed us with the bread of life. We were spiritually thirsty and so what did God do? He gave us a drink of the living water. His kindness, his hospitality, is what led us to repentance. 
We came to understand that Jesus lived this perfect life of obedience that we should have lived and we never did. That he died to pay the punishment for our sin and disobedience. That he rose from the dead to give eternal life to all who put their trust in him and his finished work. That, that finished work that we sang about this morning. And so we repented. We turned from our sin and we trusted in Jesus. And he has opened his home and his life to us. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? God hasn't just opened his home to us. He's made his home in us. The Bible ends with God making a new home for all who put their trust in Christ. God will renew the heavens and the earth. We read about this in our prayer time, the great wedding feast of the Lamb. He'll live with us there. He'll be our God there, and we will be his people forever. We will share his eternal home and his eternal life that have been opened to us through Jesus I want to ask you this morning, if you don't know this eternal home and this eternal life, would you continue to reject this hospitality of this God? Would you want to remain an enemy of the God who welcomes us in? He welcomes sinners who deserve his wrath to come to him through his son and find peace and reconciliation instead. So why not then come to him through his son? Why not turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ? You can do that right now this morning. You can surrender yourself to him and you will be welcomed into his eternal home with his eternal life forever with the living God. When we offer hospitality to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's as if we're offering hospitality to Christ himself. But when we offer hospitality to our enemies, listen, it's as if we are offering Christ himself to them. When we serve our brothers and sisters, we're serving the Lord. When, we, when we, we're still offering Christ to each other, but hear me, when we reach out to our enemies, we say, here is Jesus Christ. He saved me, and he can save you. Save you. One is an intentional love toward the family of, of God. The other is an inviting love to join the family of God. And Jesus is at the center of, in both cases. But it's hard to show love to your enemies, right? But right now you might be thinking, man, I, well, all right. Maybe I'll just invite my brothers and sisters over. If I got to choose one, that's the one, right? It's hard to show people hospitality when what you get from them is hostility, right? They've wronged you in some way. They've hurt you in some way. They're not out for your good. They're out to get you. At least that's what it feels like, and maybe that's true. Isn't it reassuring then to know that our Lord understands how we feel because he has shared in our sufferings? Now listen, it may not be safe for you to invite an unbeliever into your home because they have animosity toward you or they're dangerous in some way, but that does not mean that you cannot still offer them hospitality. We have this example in Jesus, right? Didn't our Lord leave his home and come into an, an inhospitable place to an inhospitable people in order to serve them and make a way for them to come home to God? When we recognize that our enemies aren't really our 
enemies, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, but that they're really enemies of God. And when we remember that God sent his son to die for his enemies, then we may be more willing to draw near to those who are far from God and to open our lives to them so that they might encounter Christ's hospitable love and turn to him. Is there anybody in your life that you've shut out but God wants you to lean in with that person? Are there tangible needs that you can meet in that person's life to show them the hospitable love of Christ? How can you conquer evil with good in their life and heap fiery coals, so to speak, on their head? Not for the sake of vengeance, but for the sake of repentance. How can you show them that you're eager for them to become a part of God's family? Paul summarizes it well in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. You see, hospitality is not an option for us as Christians. It's a necessity. We must have open homes and open lives. Why? Because hospitality expresses intentional love to the family of God, and hospitality expresses inviting love to the enemies of God. We ought to be just as eager to invite others into our homes and our lives as we are to invite them to church. Why? Because Jesus is in all those places. That invitation is ultimately an invitation for them to experience the hospitality of Christ himself. He's opened his eternal home and his eternal life to sinners like you and me. So let's pursue hospitality with the same intensity with which Christ has pursued us to the glory of God. Let's open our homes and our lives and use them as tools for the gospel so that others might experience Christ's hospitable love through you and me because Jesus himself is our true eternal home and our true eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have welcomed us in. You've given us a table, a place at your table You've made us yours. When we deserve nothing but your wrath, you gave us nothing but grace. We thank you that we have this in Jesus Christ, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to pursue hospitality, both to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who are far from you, that we might all look to Jesus together to see the hospitable love of God through him and to run to him, all for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.